Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome to The Push, taking you inside the world of wheelchair tennis. Welcome to the first episode of The Push Wheelchair Tennis Podcast, the first serves wheelchair tennis podcast. So my name's Tim Conley. I'm the manager here at Hume Tennis and Community Centre. Also, we run a wheelchair tennis hub and host multiple international ITF wheelchair tennis tournaments. And I'd like to welcome my co-host of the podcast, Paralympic gold medalist, Heath Davidson. Heath. Yeah, how are you, mate? Um, what's happening? Well, mate, I guess um, it's it's great that we can start one of these podcasts about a sport, one that you play and that two I'm passionate about. So for those who don't know you, you are a world-renowned wheelchair tennis player. You've represented Australia at the Paralympics. You've won Paralympics gold. You have won several Grand Slam doubles titles. And some people obviously might know your doubles partner, 2022 Australian of the Year, Dylan Alcott. That's him. So I guess now, mate, tell us a little bit now that Dylan's retired, what you're up to and what we're going to be looking to do on the podcast. Well, I mean, unfortunately, I'm not getting any younger and don't have as many jobs as Dylan. So I am still a professional wheelchair tennis player and I'm just doing the rounds on tour, man. Just about to start the uh, the big European grind on the clay, which is awesome. I love the dirt. So that's good. This podcast is just all things wheelchair tennis where there's nothing else out there in the world. So we're just going to, I guess, shoot the shit and talk about what's happening in the world of wheelchair tennis, results, tournaments that are upcoming and just giving people an insight to what we do for a living. This is something that we at Hume first got involved in wheelchair tennis back in 2016 when we were approached by Tennis Australia to to host an ITF wheelchair event that leads into a, the Grand Slam. And that that's the first time you and I met, and that's the first time I was really introduced to wheelchair tennis. And over the past eight years from hosting many different events now have become well intrigued by just the, the intensity and the competitiveness, but also the growth of the sport. So I guess looking back from from then, 2016 to now, what what sort of changes have you seen in the sport, also the development of the sport? For me being a player, the changes from 2016, the major changes for us are just the Grand Slams. The Grand Slams have got bigger draw sizes, there's more prize money, which is just making it a lot more accessible and we can do this for a living, whereas less than 10 years ago, like the draw sizes for a Grand Slam was eight, eight and four. And I play in the quad division, so it was extremely tough to uh, make those. The tournaments below the Grand Slams, like we host one down at Hume, those draw sizes and the players coming out to those, so you're getting more players at them because there's more opportunity for people now to play in the bigger tournaments. So you're just finding that we're getting the best players in the world coming to more tournaments because the end goal for most of us is to play in the big four. So that's what we're trying to do. It is incredible that now, I know this year for the first time where you see a lot of the players traveling with entourages. So how big is your entourage that you travel with? Oh, I mean, I'd like to say I've got a massive entourage, but no, I'm just a one-man guy. Um, most of the year, I normally just travel with my coach, Francois, or my 
other coach, so I've got two coaches. I've got Francois, who's the national Australia coach, and then I have my personal coach, Marco Percy, who um, I've known since I was knee-high to a grasshopper when I first started playing wheelchair tennis. He travels with me a bit this year as well, so it's pretty good. But, yeah, I keep my keep my little entourage small. Don't need a big one, but, I mean, there are teams and players that do have big entourages. I remember this year, Hume, you had a few of the Japanese players coming down with, like, three or four people each. They had their own physios. They had their own S&C coaches. They had their own tennis coaches. And then, like, managers and stuff. It's crazy to see just the progression that we've made as a sport. A lot of the players were full taking it really, really serious these days. It used to be more of a social social outing, I guess, probably 15 years ago. But now there's big money involved, big points involved. And, yeah, people are doing everything they possibly can to get the best out of themselves to um, compete at the highest level. When you started to talk about, yeah, the honour, like I actually think of um, world number one, Alfie Hewitt. I know, you know he had he had two coaches with him. He had his girlfriend, then obviously the support of the GB team. And speaking to Alfie's coach saying that through December was the first real preseason he'd done and, and the fitness and the strength from seeing Alfie when he first got here as an 18-year-old eight years ago to where he is now just shows you the, the professionalism and dedication the players are now showing. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I started back, what, eight years ago now and up until two years ago, I mean, that's the first preseason I ever did. Like it was, it wasn't really necessary. I don't know whether necessary is the right word, but it just wasn't there. Like we didn't do it. And then Dylan leading into, um, Dylan was always really good. Dylan had a really good structure and uh, program set for himself and he held himself accountable for the effort that he put in. So, I mean, I jumped on board with that a couple of years back leading into 2000, it would have been, what, 2000, it was supposed to be 2020, the Paralympics. But yeah, I did my first preseason then and yeah, it made a big difference to my game. And as you said, you saw, you saw Alfie come out this year and he's just a machine. Like his fitness is great. He's so fast. He hits a massive ball. The quality of wheelchair tennis in the last five to seven years has gone up drastically. It's like you go out there and watch the men, the women, the quads, the juniors, and it's it's a it's a really good sport to watch, and it, it's really enjoyable, and um, it's exciting, and I mean, men's doubles is just phenomenal. If like that's my personally the, my favorite tennis to watch, it's it's unbelievable. It's very tactical, isn't? It? And and I think that's when people start to see the agility of. The wheelchair, like we talk about agility in tennis and how important agility in tennis is, but the agility of the chair and the chair skill, and, and this is why we called it the push, right? Because what what is, the, what is the what does the push mean to you? You know, when when we talk about the push, what does that mean to you? I mean, it's the most important part of wheelchair tennis. Like, unfortunately, unlike you able-bodied guys, we can't move laterally on the court, so we work pretty hard to recover and get back into a position where we can chase down balls. I mean, and the only difference to wheelchair tennis and able-bodied tennis is that we get two bounces. So, And if you're watching any of the top guys or top ladies or even top quads, we play off one bounce as well. So, yeah, it's definitely definitely a bit taxing on the, um, on the upper body, but I love doing what I do and yeah, I wouldn't do anything else. Where do you do your biggest pushes, you know, to get yourself really strong? What's your circuit? I mean, we do a lot of short and sharp stuff at training just because, as you would know, being a tennis coach and running Hume, like tennis is very, I mean, what, most points average maybe 30 seconds, just quick, short, sharp points. 
So a lot of hours are short, sharp. I'm not very good at endurance. I don't have a big gas tank. I've got more beach muscles. So I like to look good in my Yonix gear instead of uh, actually like having the gas tank that I probably should have. But we push three times a week at the moment at home. I hit six days a week and I gym three days a week. So just trying to get it all balanced out, work out what works, what doesn't. It's it's a grind at the moment, to be honest with you, but it needs to be, obviously, because we're heading over to Europe for a couple of months to do the European summer. And just something that you mentioned, and we'll obviously have people that are listening that will know a lot about wheelchair tennis, but there'll be some new people that will be listening. So just the difference between wheelchair tennis and quad wheelchair tennis, I think that's a lot of people don't really understand that there's a couple of divisions there. And so what what are the, the basic differences between playing wheelchair tennis and quad wheelchair tennis? Well, I mean, there's only one real difference and it is that if you play in the quad division like myself, you have to have something wrong with your upper body as well as your lower body. So in my case, I've got a restricted movement in my right shoulder and I can't move my right wrist. So it's fused in position and that allows me to have a third limb affected. Therefore, I play quad tennis and men's and women's. So we like to call it on the circuit open division. It's just you need to have some form of disability. That can sometimes be the controversial part, can't it, about wheelchair tennis in that I know there are some players out there that believe that if anyone wants to play wheelchair tennis, they can just hop in a chair and should be able to play whether you have a disability or not because the skill that is required quite often that, you know, to be in a wheelchair just to go back one step is that sometimes you might, what what qualifies me in a wheelchair? I had this conversation actually like three weeks ago with my new doubles partner, Robert Shaw. And I'm a, I was a firm believer in that if you're sitting in a wheelchair, like I feel like because I'm in a wheelchair or somebody's in a wheelchair, if an able-bodied person sat in a wheelchair, it would be an advantage for them. So hypothetically, you're telling me that if you put your Rogers, your Raffers, your Novaks, your Zverevs, whoever, whoever, like your Serena's Barty's in a wheelchair and you give them three months, they won't like be unbelievable. And thinking about it that way, I'm like, yeah, once you figure out the chair, they're pretty bloody good at tennis. So could be trouble. So <laughs> definitely agree with there needs to be a line and you need to have some form of disability, physical disability. So it's just, it's like everything in life. Like, Obviously, some sort of physical disabilities are much preferable to be, I guess, not better, but just make the transition a lot easier. Like amputees, like they've got full movement of one leg or full core and stuff like that. So they can use their full bodies and stuff like that. So, and if you've had Perthes or something, like you're recovering and yes, you did have hips dysplasia and stuff like that, but you are essentially pretty able-bodied. So you've got to be able to use most of your body to put into your shots instead of somebody that is a full paraplegic like Gustavo, who is from the waist down, has no movement or feeling. Yeah, Gustavo is Argentinian top five player in the world. Yeah, and he is jacked. The boy yeah. is huge. Yeah, he'd make a good um, centre-half back or a centre-half forward. Yeah, his, his arms are probably bigger than most most blokes' legs. Like, yeah. He's a big unit. He's a lovely bloke as well. He's an absolute champion. When you start to talk about yeah the different capabilities, Stefan Houdet, you know, he... He had a motorbike accident, and he's a you know top player from France, and he he kneels in the wheelchair. Yeah, his wheelchair is like a spaceship. It's crazy. Yeah, and so and his 
his agility around the court, as we were talking about before, but is incredible. But the development that you've seen in the chair, like, you know, just uh, can you just talk about like how the chairs, you know, and how, how expensive are the chairs? It's funny because, I mean, it depends who you talk to. Like you've got the two two GB guys. So you've got Alfie Hewitt and Gordon Reid who are like the best doubles team in the world. They won the Grand Slam last year, yeah, all the doubles titles. They still use stock standard RGK tennis wheelchairs. And then you've got guys like me who have bucket seats because I have such a high high level of disability i've got no balance so i've got a bucket seat that holds me in real tight so it just gives me that extra bit of stability and then you've got guys like stefan huday and ben weeks who essentially have designed wheelchairs that they kneel in because one of the only rules that you sort of have when you play wheelchair tennis for the wheelchair is you must have your bum on a seat at all times. So yeah, you've got Stefan who's literally rocking around in a spaceship, kneeling, stretching, like can literally lean parallel to the court when he's stretching for a ball, which is crazy. And I mean, chairs cost-wise can go from anywhere from $12,000 to tens of thousands of dollars. I think my chair, including labor, would probably be close to the 25 mark, 30 mark. So it's all sort of what you want and what you want to try and get out of a wheelchair. Having a wheelchair that expensive, you feel like you've got to win a Grand Slam at some point, don't you? Oh, mate, I've got to beat these two Dutch boys first. Hopefully we can get one. Um, I've actually just got a new chair being built at the moment, which we've somehow managed to get four and a half kilos lighter than my chair that I'm in now. So we know that my game style is very stop start. I don't like carry momentum when I play. So we wanted to lie in the chair so I could get off the mark quicker and chase down more balls. When we were sort of talking about doing the podcast, you said you don't necessarily want it to be too inspiring because, you know, everyone sees themselves as an athlete now. And But no matter what, and I, and I know now that I'm in the space that, yeah, I, I see you guys as athletes. The average person out there is completely inspired what you guys do. And it, and it, is, in, it is incredible. I guess going right back then, how did you find wheelchair tennis? Where did you get connected to the sport? Mate, for me, it was back when I was a 13-year-old young fella. I was extremely overweight, liked playing PlayStation way too much. So that's pretty much all I did. And then, yeah, it was just needed to do something like physical. New Dylan... So me and Dylan have known each other for 22 years and knew him and our dads got together and Dylan's three years younger than me. Dylan was a real young pup. Yeah, we were both, we both needed to do something and we both loved sports. So our dads got together and um, I guess they found a guy named Marco who still coaches me a lot and he'd never coached anyone in a wheelchair or with a disability. And he's like, you know what, let's give it a go. It can't be too hard. And that's how I got my start in wheelchair tennis. Panned out pretty well in the end. So you've been playing... Basically, since then, you know, like we know Dill had a bit of a hiatus into wheelchair basketball. Did you have you played any other sports as well? No other sports for me, no, but I did have an 11 year hiatus. When I was 18, I decided that I didn't want to do it anymore. I wanted to go and live a normal life and I guess did the wrong thing for a little bit, got myself into a little bit of trouble. Yeah, in 2015, found wheelchair tennis again. And I mean, it's crazy to think that I was sitting at home one night watching Nick Curry, I speak Rafa at Wimbledon, uh, my partner at the time said, hey, you used to play wheelchair tennis. And I said, I did. And she's like, would you ever go back? And that sort of just put this little, this bug in the back of my head. And then a couple of days later, I was like, I'll message Marco. So I messaged Marco, lucky he had the same number. And then he wrote back saying, shit, I never thought I'd hear from you again. Went down, had a casual hit. I had to go and borrow a tennis wheelchair off um, Victoria, like 
Sports and Rec, the company that get all the Victorian disabled sports up and about and just inclusion in that sense and um, borrowed a tie-dyed wheelchair. It was shocking. I didn't fit in it, but we thought we'd give it a go. And then, yeah, went down, had a hit with Marco and that turned into a couple of days a week. And then Tennis Australia, word that I was hitting tennis balls again, I guess probably through Dylan. And then Francois, my coach now, gave me a call and he said, hey, mate, I want you to come down and have a bit of a hit. So I went down, had a bit of a hit with him, Dylan, and met Mama B, Brenda, who was our boss back then. Yeah, that was it. Started hitting down at Melbourne Park a couple of days a week and then still hitting with Marco. And then that transition to me being a full-time professional tennis player. So six days a week and traveling full-time. Yeah, I guess we always say in tennis, you're only ever semi-retired. That's the one great thing about the sport. So when any someone says, I'm going to just take a break, then it, that that is one of the great things about our sport. And one of the reasons why I wanted to do the podcast is to watch the community of wheelchair tennis, not, you know, like you talk about Dylan or you talk about, you know, even the connection with um, Marco, that you are connected through the sport. And that, and that is one of the great parts about the sport. So, you know, your connection now from getting connected with Marco again and now from around the world, like, you know, talk about all your different connections there. Well, I mean, just traveling, traveling and being a full-time tennis player. Like I've met great players and um, I've got really good friendship with a lot of the guys. I've met some great coaches like Marco travels with me now, Francois travels with me. When we go to like team events like World Team Cup, we've got a full support team with us and you just get to meet some cool people. Like I know all the people that run the French Open, Wimbledon, US Open, and not even just the big tournaments, like guys like yourself. I would never have met you if... Fume didn't start a tournament. It's tournaments like that that you just meet cool people and then like your tournament directors all over the world. So it's cool. It's fun. It's 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 opened up a lot of doors for me and networking and just getting to see a lot of the world, which I probably wouldn't have seen if I didn't do what I did. So some of the guys you hang out with on tour now, like you talked about Rob, you know, look, I guess one of the, the challenges is now that Dylan's retired, your longtime doubles partner, and obviously you'd like to play with another Aussie, but talk about how... You know, that connection started. I think that's maybe who who's your future doubles partner? Is there a future doubles partner for you on the horizon? Well, my connection with Robbie Boy sort of just happened over us being mates uh, on tour. He's a legend. We get along really well. When, when Dilby decided to hang up the racket, I sort of needed to find another one. Um, unfortunately, at the moment, we don't have any, well, at the time, didn't have any quads playing for Australia other than myself when Dylan retired so doubles doubles to me is one of those things where I just prefer to go out there and have fun with a mate and if you get the results you get the results so Rob's me man at the moment and but in saying that we do have a little bloke that I think you know very well Jim um, he has just been classed in as a quad so he's only a young pup so hopefully in a few years few years time we'll be able to um, jump on court together and potentially play a world team cup together and Maybe even a Paralympics if I'm still around because I'm getting old. Jin and the junior team have been over in Portugal playing the the World Team Cup. And part of the podcast is we want to just talk about some of the results and we're going to be talking to you as you head around the world, whether it's to the French Open, Wimbledon, US Open. How did they go, the the Aussie juniors? We didn't we didn't have a quad team this year and we we didn't have a senior team. How did the juniors go and just the results all round of the World Team Cup that was held, just finished in Portugal? I mean, unfortunately, our, our little our little fellas um, lost out to GB in the semifinals. So that was a bit upsetting. But in fairness to our little fellas, all of 
the three boys that they sent over, it was their first World Team Cup. So a bit of nerves and stuff. I was actually video calling them back and forth, just sort of trying to tell them that not to worry about it. Like it's just like everything else. You're going to get nervous. I still get nervous and I've been doing this for eight years. So, yeah, unfortunately, we lost out to GB. But in saying that, GB went on to win the Junior World Team Cup. So it's it's always makes it slightly easier to lose to the people that win the tournament. You had the quads was won by the Dutch team again. They're pretty good, Sam and Niels. Definitely making it hard for all us other quads to... Um, get some tournament wins. You had the Dutch ladies win again. They've been dominant for 20 years now. They're pretty good. Dita Group, world number one. Yiska's top five again. And their junior girl, Lizzie, has actually just played her first seniors world team cup for the women, which is awesome. And then my good mates, Gordon and Alfie and Ben Bartram, actually won the won the men's so they beat the Dutch team the Dutch just great tennis players all around they've in most of the finals so um but yeah Gordon Reed Alfie Hewitt and Ben Bartram um got the job done for GB in the men's the wheelchair tour now that it's quite extensive isn't it and each year the world team cup is one of the the big events outside of the Paralympics year that where we, where we have team tennis yeah well it's our only team tennis event other than Paralympics because unfortunately like wheelchair tennis isn't in the Commonwealth Games not sure why I'm gonna start asking some questions about that actually us as a country we don't have the opportunity to play as a team very often I mean tennis is a very individual sport anyway but yeah Paralympics and World Team Cup for us being Australia, I know America has the Parapan Ams, so North America and South America play in a big tournament, and Asia do one as well, and Europe do one as well. Um, I don't know why we don't have anything like that or why we aren't included in the Asia one. I guess it would be Oceania if we were. Always good fun to put on the green and gold, get around each other and stuff. So hopefully in the next couple of years, we can get a squad back together and have a t- uh, men's team, women's team, quad team and a junior team and go and show everyone what we're made of. Yeah, so look, and, and this is part of the, the podcast as well, that if anyone's out there that feels that they know someone or they are in a wheelchair or and would like to try wheelchair tennis, that I know you're conscious that, um, we're not allowed to mention Hume too often. But nah, mate, Hume's a good good starting point. It is our tennis hub, or you're not in that local area. I mean, do what I did. We just looked around and went and spoke to tennis clubs. And, I mean, all it takes is a coach to be like, yeah, all right, let's have a hit. And then it's becoming a lot more recognised wheelchair tennis around Australia, um, especially in Victoria and Melbourne. We've had some great tennis players come out of Melbourne. I mean, one of them was number one in the world for a hell of a long time and he won a Golden Slam and was Australian of the Year. So I think it just shows that we love our sport in Australia and we love our sport, especially in Melbourne. So, I mean, yeah, just go down, speak to your local club. If you're around the Hume area, definitely get in contact with Tim. Um, they've got a great program down there. Try and get involved or in any way you can doesn't matter what state you're in, just whether it's, and even in Australia or even around the world, but most countries now have wheelchair programs, which is great. Particularly, we know Australia quite well, but your states, Tennis Victoria, Tennis Queensland, Tennis New South Wales, they all have hub programs around and they also have, yeah, there are a lot of clubs now with, with players playing wheelchair tennis. And I know the, earlier this year when we had the, the ITFs, 
we had some junior national, you know, we had the junior nationals here and we had players from all over Australia that, that came and play and the opportunities. And like we said, the connections that, that everyone makes. And when you're here and you've got a hundred people in wheelchairs, it's, it just feels like your own community. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it does get, get pretty jam packed when there's a hundred wheelchairs floating around, but we sort of are our own community and we all get along and, love doing what we do and yeah so we just want more people to be involved i guess then with all new players getting into the sport or people thinking about getting into the sport what what are probably a couple of tips or the things that when you first started or when you sort of came back what what are what are probably a few key coaching tips you could give to anyone sort of wanting to take up wheelchair tennis because we, we get a lot of you know new players all the time to the hub every Saturday, 1.30, they're coming through, they're trying for the first time. What do you think are probably a key key few tips that for anyone who comes? For me, it's sort of just like pushing. If you can if you can master the art of pushing your wheelchair, then you're in a good spot. And I mean, technique and stuff, you can learn. Pushing technique's hard to learn. I mean, if you, if you look at uh, all of the Japanese players, they push so well. If you look at the, the GB guys, they push really well. Like this pushing is such an important part of the game. I feel like that's probably the number one thing in my eyes. If if you can push a wheelchair, you can learn the rest. So pushing for me is a big one. And I've noticed a couple of people that have played tennis and then gone and done basketball training and just they're pushing just by doing the crossover or like wheelchair rugby, just the way that they teach and they learn to push their wheelchairs is so different to our us as wheelchair tennis players so yeah pushing is a big one for me i guess then at learning um to to push in a wheelchair and playing wheelchair tennis can is a great crossover and when doesn't you know even for able-bodied like one of the things we're taught as kids is to play multiple different types of sports because they complement i guess that's that's one of the great things about wheelchair tennis that anyone else who's playing another wheelchair sport playing wheelchair tennis obviously is going to really help them with their chair skills yeah, definitely would encourage any any wheelchair sport, if they want to come and try wheelchair tennis, come over and have a go. Yes, it is hard because there is so much going on, but it's great fun. It's awesome. You get so much satisfaction. I personally get so much satisfaction from playing and learning, being able to hit drop shots and big serves, and it's fun. It's just fun all around. I really enjoy it. So, yeah, if you want to come over and have a, have a go, I've been trying to convince Riley Batt, captain of the wheelchair rugby team, to come over and give it a whirl and stuff like that so yeah yeah, just the more the merrier for us really it is an incredible community whether you're a coach or for us administrators or just watching athletes and how it does it just it it is a great well sport overall is just such a great connector and to be able to experience what happens in in the wheelchair global community and and how well everyone's connected and it is such a great sport now we've got a big next sort of six months of tennis coming up you're going to be traveling. We're going to be speaking to you when you're around the world. Give us a bit of a quick rundown without sort of making us too jealous while we're going to suffer here in the Australian winter of, of where you're off to. And because we're going to do one of these once a month, where, where are you going? Yeah. Well, I mean, for the next month, I'm going to be in, or next couple of months, I'm going to be in Europe. So while you guys are sitting here in the cold and the rain, I'll be gallivanting around France, Switzerland, Belgium, England, chasing the sun got some big tournaments coming up um, for those who know tennis you've got Roland Garros in 
four weeks coming and then you've got Wimbledon three weeks after that. How do wheelchairs go on clay? If the clay is no good, then... You do burnout? Yeah, definitely slip and slide a bit. Personally, I hate clay, but I get really good results on clay, so I don't know why I hate it. And then, so the clay season starts for us. I do a lead-in tournament in Wyon, which is just a little, little place north of Paris. I head to Paris and then I go to Nice for Riviera. Then I quickly shoot home just to have a quick refresher for a week and a half and then I'll fly back over and go start the Wimbledon, Switzerland, Belgium and British Open. Yeah, it's good fun. But grass is the hardest, hardest surface for us by far. It's just really taxing. Points are really short. It's just really hard to move. So my favourite surface because I do love my slice. I feel like my slice backhand is one of my, one of my better shots. All the Grand Slams now, and I get this is one of the big breakthroughs for wheelchair tennis now, actually have wheelchair events. And yep. we know the US have just announced that they've got 16 men, 16 women, and 16 quads, plus a junior event, which just is incredible support for the sport and the, and the growth globally. It's definitely awesome. Like the US Open is just gone bang and gone, you know what? We want equality across the board, so we're going to have 16 men, 16 women, 16 quads, and we're going to throw in juniors as well, which is cool because up until now, we've never had a junior Grand Slam. I mean, US Open started junior Grand Slam last year. So hopefully moving forward, uh, the other slams jump on board and we have an equal draw right across the board now and we can have juniors at all the slams, which is pretty much what the Ablebods have been doing for 20 years now, 30 years now. So it's becoming a professional sport all year round now. So this is what we do. We are professional athletes and this this is our job. It's awesome that we are now getting recognition for what we do yeah. and getting the opportunities to play in the big tournaments. What we're looking to do and what we're, you know, without after our initial chat, each each of the episodes, and this sits with you because you're so well connected, we're going to have a special guest or a wheelchair, whether it's a player, a coach, administrator, but as you're traveling. So the next time we, we touch base, you'll be in France. I will be in Paris, probably Paris. sitting in my hotel room talking to you, Timmy boy. And I will definitely sort out a special guest so we can have a chat to one of them, whether it is pretty sure the next one's a player. I've already lined it up. I don't want to give away who it is yet, but it'll be a surprise. But they're very keen to do it and very excited that yourself and myself have decided that to do this podcast because there's just nothing else out there. So so are we going to do French and then Wimbledon and then when you may be back for the next episode after that, but then the US, you know, we, we do hope that over over our journey and, and particularly through 2023 that you can educate us about how, you know, great the sport is, but then also that there is there is some inspiration for anyone who is in a wheelchair and is at home and wants to get involved in an amazing community such as wheelchair tennis that that we do we do create some inspiration and participation because one of the things that I've learned and is that quite often I used to and, and a lot of people do this would would feel sorry for someone in a wheelchair now I I just see players when they come to Hume when you guys are playing that you know this is your lifestyle this is this is how how you guys live and and you guys are living and i want to put words in your mouth but but great lives yeah 100 percent. i mean we uh it's it's normal for us so it's just what we do and i mean other than being it a little bit more inconvenient getting out of the car to put petrol in or getting on an aeroplane sometimes it's it's pretty crazy man like we're pretty similar mate it's great speaking i'm really looking forward to the 
for the rest of the year and and hearing and and meeting the people that you know and or reconnecting like I'm so lucky that we get to see them and once a year when they come here to Hume for a couple of weeks but to follow people around the world on the ITF wheelchair circuit and leading into next year's Paralympics year which is which is just a massive year which we which we have to touch on as well so mate good luck for the rest of the year I'll see Um, you in Paris awesome the first serve is your home of tennis at thefirstserve.com.au Log on to find out all the details of our live radio show, other podcasts, read weekly features by our team of writers, and follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and subscribe to our YouTube channel.